Hey, yo, artists and musicians. Who, us? Yeah, do you want your own vinyl records? Yeah, but I can't order a thousand of them. Or wait like a year to get them. Yeah, we're going on tour in two months. Check out our friends lathecuts.com. They'll make you vinyl singles in quantities as small as 50 copies and as quickly as three or four weeks. Get out of here. You heard me right. All their pricing is a la carte and they can help you pick a package that fits your budget. Okay, who we talk to about this? You need to email my buddy Mike. His address is lathecuts at yahoo.com. And if you mention low profile, you'll get a 10% overrun on your order. So if I order 50 records? Mike's going to send you 55. If I order 75, I guess you will get 82 and a half? Something like that. Remember, you got to mention low profile to get that deal, and it won't be around forever. What was that address again? That's lathecuts at yahoo.com. Custom made records in small quantities. Mention low profile to get a 10% overrun on your order. And emailing now. Howdy y'all, I'm your host Markley Morrison and this is the 65th episode of Low Profile. On today's episode, instead of our usual format, I've got a folklorist. Derek Peter lives in Connecticut and was introduced to me by Dollar Country host Franklin Fantini, or Frank the Drifter, who you might remember from a bonus episode from October 2021. Derek has released several albums of experimental and electronic music this century, but in recent years has shifted his focus to collecting folk songs as remembered by, for a lack of better words, folks. He's traveled here and abroad collecting field recordings, which he'll be sharing with us today. I spoke with Derek last spring, asking him first about life in Connecticut, where he focuses most of his folklore work. The best way I can describe Connecticut is that um, when I went to the Library of Congress and looked through their filing cabinet system by location, uh, there was no folk music documented in their uh, system from Connecticut. So we're kind of a Darth of uh, folk tradition. Uh, but nevertheless, I've uh, always had a huge love for, uh, I guess, something that would have happened before what people think of as folk. I, I have a real uh, love for like roots music. And so uh, a lot of that uh, interest and passion took me to uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains on the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. And so I've been working for the last two and a half years with recordings uh, from Avery County, North Carolina, uh, from this family, uh, the Bear family, and specifically Lena Bear Turbifil, who uh, was just as good a singer as someone like Gene Ritchie or Texas Gladden, but for whatever reason uh, got kind of lost to the annals of history. So I've uh, been on like a rescue mission with uh, some of these archival recordings of uh, Lena and her family. Can we play right now one of her songs? I would go with uh, her rendition of The House Carpenter. Well met, well met, my old true love. Well met, well met, said he. Just returned from the salt, salt sea. And it's all for the love of thee. I could have married a king's daughter, and she would have married me. I slighted her 
it's all for the love of thee. If you could have married a king's daughter, I'm sure you are to blame. I have married a half carpenter, and I think he's a nice young man. That's a song that was recorded a lot at the time, sort of right after the boon of accessible recording discs, uh, so that, you know, it's more reliable than a wax cylinder, and right before uh, the Second World War. So there was just there was just a lot of stuff being taken uh, in that frame of time, and so a lot of people sang The House Carpenter. So if anyone out there has a bent towards this kind of archival music, you will know that song pretty well. Um, but you will also be able to tell pretty easily that Lena sings the hell out of it, and she does a very fine job. So um, beyond the digging through the Library of Congress archives, um, you've also begun collecting folk songs yourself, sort of in the spirit of, say, like the Lomaxes, but I'd like to think maybe not as evil. <laughs> I might refrain on that front, but uh, yeah, I mean Lomax and the, and the you know the gentleman that took Lena's family, Dr. Herbert Halpert, was a contemporary of Lomax, and I've seen letters exchanged between the two gentlemen. Uh, you've got Helen Hartness Flanders up here in New England. You know, again, it was a boon. You have to think that you know wax cylinders finally transformed sort of into you know the industry standard became acetate and aluminum discs which were much more reliable and uh it was right before the war broke out and it's just a whole bunch of recordings being taken by various people uh all over north america uh particularly north america particularly the american south but otherwise uh, you know also new england and the maritimes and whatnot um and i think that the reason i got into it is uh a lot of people are of the opinion that that was very much a hundred years ago kind of endeavor and that you can't collect uh, much these days and I'm sort of out to prove those people wrong. So I've been uh, I've been all over New England and uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains and I spent four months in uh, Britain taking field recordings as well. How do you get yourself into the situation of recording a stranger singing a folk song to you? Well, it really varies. I mean, sometimes I have luck. I, I literally passed a gentleman on the street one day in York, England. I was on my way home. He just seemed like he'd, he'd know something neat. And I was like, no, don't do it. No, don't do it. That's weird. Don't introduce yourself. I wheeled myself around. Hi. You know, I was <laughs> like, you know, my hunch went out and my whatever. And I, I said, I'm, I'm looking for folk music. And I can't tell you why, but you look like you might know something. And I felt terribly impolite doing this to a perfect stranger on the street. But, um... Are you familiar with the hymn, um, the Virgin Mary had a baby boy, and they said that his name was Jesus? Right, yeah, that's familiar. So we had a brief conversation, and he was explaining that when he was a child, he went to the West Indies with his mother, and then he sort of abruptly broke himself off, and he said, just wait a minute. And he ran mm -hmm. up into his house, and he emerged with this thin blue book from um, Boozy and Hawks. Uh, his mother had been a colleague of Edric Connor and uh, had published uh, a book called West, uh, in, uh, was it Hymns and Spirituals of the West Indies? Um, Edric Connor took the Virgin Mary Had a Baby Boy from this gentleman in the West Indies who was 92, and it was because of that Shermer volume that it made it into the Cambridge Hymnal and then became a like widely known hymn that people sing. So I met this gentleman who was the descendant of a woman who kind of made that song 
breaks the mainstream. Virgin Mary had a baby boy. And they say that his name was Jesus. Yeah. And that was pure intuition. So that's one way of getting into it. You just follow wild hunches. But uh, it's also systematic. I'll go through, you know, established and documented informants from the 30s and then try and locate their descendants. Uh, I think what I'm really after is the concept of a non-singer, uh, which is a hard thing to sort of pin down, and I've gotten some flack for it being kind of a problematic term, mm. because if someone's going to sing for you, obviously they're not a non-singer, but what I'm really looking for is uh, someone who's aware of these these folk traditions and, and has memory of songs that were orally transmitted, but never really did anything with them, uh, just had these memories kind of privately kept and could recite these songs, but but never really shared them, uh, which is why I was so excited about the Edna Gibson recordings, because it feels very um, sympathico with what I'm sort of searching for, is this kind of um, private private practice that was never put on stage or anything. Yeah, and for the listener, if you don't listen all the time, Edna Gibson has come up a few times on the show before, uh, just sort of in passing, and this is one of those moments. <laughs> but she's she's a lady from uh, Southern Oregon that I've been trying to track down her story because I just happened across her tapes in a thrift store, uh, home recorded tapes from probably the 1980s, maybe 70s, and um, yeah, we'll we'll let you hear a little bit of that right here. Give me a home in Montana A cowboy's bandana And see how happy I'll be Give me an old Ixie cabin And I won't be grabbing Till the Montana moon shine for me And I'll find paradise Meet those blue really really special when you find music that is not really intended for commercial reasons or even even really artistic reasons it's just music that people have inside them and they it happens to get documented um that's that's pretty much what i try and generate but i mean edna obviously selfied that whole situation sure she recorded herself and her relative or neighbor or friend um it was bud hammond was on there too. oh it was her yeah that was her brother ah bud hammond yeah yeah <clears throat> i i was able to get in touch with uh her daughter and uh just a few very brief 
message exchanges online. She doesn't seem to be terribly interested in going into it, but I'm still working on her. So I, I mostly all I got out of her is that, yes, that was her uncle singing with her mom. Hmm. Uh, right, so. and by contrast, I had tremendous success with Lena's daughter. So you just you don't ever you don't ever know what what people are going to bring to the what associations they're carrying around when you reach out like that. But uh, I I like to think I've been fairly successful looking for documented singers and then their descendants. Uh, you know, it, I I actually just met a woman who lives now in Connecticut, and her grandfather was documented as singing in Kingman, Maine, on a cylinder, but it was a pretty well preserved cylinder. And I wanted to do something with those recordings. And the Library of Congress suggested I reach out to the family, which was something I was doing anyway, so I was happy to find her. And uh, we went to Panera Bread. She lives about an hour away from me, and she gave me photos and stories. It was really interesting to uh, oh, wow. let into her, her grandfather's life. A lot of your work seems to focus on like the life of the song and how songs evolve over time and through, you know, maybe misguided misremembered lyrics uh memories just the, the songs themselves grow and change and mutate as they get passed down through time yeah i think in a perfect world you know i'd be nancy drewing and would find like the great 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 grandfather's letter that had the original song lyrics and you'd know the origin but that doesn't happen it doesn't exist i mean some of the earliest uh written down uh, representation of some of the great child ballads was in the uh, Percy Folio, and it was in terrible shape when it came um, came to light, and someone was sort of going to work with it. And pages had been ripped out to start fires, and so half the songs were missing. Um, so you can't really point the arrow backwards in time very accurately, but what you can sort of do is point it forwards and see, okay, this was a recording from 1939. What do people remember? You know, and sometimes you you don't play them the recording right away. You say, yeah, so I have your mom used to sing, you know, Black Jack Davy all the time. What what version was it? What do you remember? And you, you see what has survived, and then you reward them with the recording of their mom, and they cry, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing. But you always, I'm always interested in what people remember first. You know, uh, Lena's daughter, for instance, uh, described Frankie and Johnny as uh, the song that everyone sang in the movies. And I didn't <laughs> think I was going to take it from her because I assumed she'd learned it from the movies, but I ended up recording her singing that song because she made it clear that she'd learned it before that and she recognized it later. She said she walked to the bartender and smiled Johnny been here. He's my man, but he's doing me wrong. Anyway, she's hunting for him, and uh, he walked up to the bar room, and the bar room said, I think he's, uh, he's gone. Anyway, he's gone to where that woman he's seeing is. I, I can remember that as, as a story in the song. Said, she, but he's my man, and he's doing me wrong. And something that he, uh, she carries a pistol and he begs her not to kill him, but she shoots him. But he was her lover and, and that she was doing her wrong. And uh, so she killed him. But now, 
the real killing was much more gory and bloody and uh, bad. I mean, it was graphic. Uh, the true story of it, you know, the true story of it and her being taken down to the courthouse and her, I could remember all of these people talking about them hanging Frankie Silver's down there at the courthouse. Well, we, it's every day when we go through Morgan, that's where they hung her. You'd go right by it? Yeah, every day he said it. They always hung around the courthouse. But, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's terribly, that, that's a terribly important recording because she's made the delineation that this came from inside the house, so to speak. It wasn't a modern media situation, and it was only later that she was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's the song of my people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, it, and, and it's tricky because uh, TikTok and YouTube and iPads and phones and, you know, the inundation of uh, the accessibility of media is tremendous now. And so to try and find people that, uh, despite all that, have uh, have untarnished memories of songs that their family sang before the advent of even radio is uh, is a it's a challenge, but it's so rewarding when you when you can come across it. And sometimes all that is left is a fragment. I mean, I was in Yorkshire. I went to this person's farm. He's called Will Noble. You can look him up on if you look up Will Noble Yorkshire. You know, he's got a tremendous website and a performance presence and a, a Facebook page and a YouTube and you know he he does the folk thing um, so I was doubtful that I would find anything too interesting because he seemed obviously that he'd learned a great many songs from other people not only his family and he performed these songs and he got into the habit of making the festival circuits or whatever didn't seem to be what I was after. And he wowed me with his two-part harmonies with his wife and his long Edwardian poems. And then I finally gently said, but do you remember what got you into singing in the first place? I mean, who in your family sung? And he had just a fragment of uh, something he called the prickety bush. And he kind of like, la, 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 la. You know, I didn't even remember half the words. Mm-hmm. Kind of got the chorus. And I was like, well, that's, that's the Maid Freed from the Gallows. That's a child ballad from five or 600 years ago, if not more. So, uh, you know, despite the fact that he couldn't remember much, his uncle used to sing that to him when he was two or three. And to be able to hear a song, to sit in a, you know, in a living room in 2022 and hear someone sing a song that has been passed down for hundreds of years in their family, you know, just even the last few scraps, it's just neat to be able to say, yeah, that's still, that's still an unbroken um, tether back, back hundreds of years. Now, what's your relationship to folk music? Because it, it seems like quite an undertaking. Um, you clearly very well, well informed about all these songs and where they come from. And where, where does that come from with you personally? Is that something that happened in your family? I think it's two things at once, which is, you know, when I was like a teenager, remix culture was pretty fervent. Uh, the maxi single was sort of a ridiculous luxury of the uh, mid-aughts. Everyone from, like, you know, Gwen Stefani to Incubus were putting out maxi singles. And particularly, I was really interested of, you know, starting my own music at the time, was learning production techniques, and so I would buy these, like, 
Madonna maxi singles with all the weird remixes no one listened to and there was like seven tracks of the same you know song remixed by different people and I'd learn about producers this way and that doesn't happen anymore no one spends the money on CDs like that anymore Mm -hmm. but um I was always I was always interested in kind of the weirder like white label remixes that no one had and so I would kind of go on like the online hunt for like that one bad mp3 rip of the vinyl white label remix from you know not even the main mix the dub or whatever and so I became very classifying and organizing and librarian-esque about this process and uh so I think that's sort of honed this muscle of like how many versions of a ballad are there and where does it come from and what's the what's the you know outlier version and what's the weird version from Oregon it's the only example from that state you know it's it's sort of Hmm. trained me to be able to hunt and peck in that way but the other thing was um my grandmother who didn't sing but she told stories and jokes and had an amazing recollection of um all the various jobs she had and old blue bloods she'd met and worked for and the strange houses they kept and I she was 89 when I was 17 and so I began documenting her on my mobile phone just whipping it out surreptitiously and recording her and she lived to be 99 so I took 10 years of recordings of her you know I didn't know when she was going to you never know and yeah, um, yeah. and so that was very tied to memory and, and archiving even though it wasn't music uh, and I eventually did something with some of these recordings when she passed away. They made them into an album of mine uh, called Avia. And they used to eat some of the uh, garlic ones and eat chopped egg. And then they bought the strength of some kind of seaweed or something that they had mixed in with it. This is Low Profile with Markley Morrison. If you're just joining us today, my guest is Derek Peter, a folklorist and field recording scavenger based in Connecticut. We're talking today about his passion for preserving the old forms of oral tradition and Derek is sharing pieces of his field work as well as his own songs. Back to the show. I, I didn't realize when we first got in touch that you were a pretty prolific artist in the sort of, it's a lot of electronic and minimalism and experimental sort of textures and sound collage. You've got your forest people pop record with all the um, affected singing. And that was also an ode to folk music, but it was more Thai, Indonesian, Burmese folk music. You know, the, the mm-hmm. percussion was pretty intentionally bamboo-y, or I would actually buy and crunch up bamboo pipes and leaves and things to make the beats and rhythms. Um, and that was me kind of imagining this hyper-gloss pop thing, like a Sophie or a, you know, 100 Gex or Arca, but, but imagining it in a little hut somewhere in Malaysia. You know, kind of taking taking this, like, super cosmopolitan manicured modern pop situation and kind of giving it its scruffy little sister with uncombed hair and tears in the jeans and stuff you know and kind of trying to take it to the next step and and connect it with really its arch enemy which is this very indigenous folk music that's that's primitive and 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 timeless 
you know, to try and bring those two polar opposites together. That was sort of the aim of Forest People Pops. creeping around the corners of my music for years, but I, I got really tired of electronic music, and um, I decided to focus uh, entirely on folklore work. I, I don't really cut tracks anymore like that. I don't make beats. You, you definitely got some miles when you were working on that, though. I mean, I, I noticed you got a collaboration with uh, some heavy hitters. You got Kevin Drum, uh, Stefan Matthew... And a bunch of folks yeah, whose names Stefan I... Stefan and Kevin are really good friends of mine, and so I think it kind of happened, like, like as a, you know, friend favor. You know, mm-hmm. Stefan and I go way back, and, you know, it's it's all kind of schmeared. And if you talk to people like Stefan or Kevin Drum or Vladislav Delay, what do they all listen mm-hmm. to? They listen to, like, Lead Belly and stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's like everyone loves this music anyway, you know. Yeah. They just maybe don't make it so known. Um, so I don't feel like there's been a transition, uh, too much in terms of this second kind of life I've had as a folklorist, but yeah, I certainly, I certainly was kind of belonged to like the, you know, Matmoses of the world for a long time or something. It's funny. I never really thought about, um, how that whole sonic universe, um, maybe does have its roots in like some of the earliest recordings. Well, working with the the Herbert Halbert recordings of Lena and her family, it feels very much... Uh, there was a really good record AGF did in 2002 called Head Slash Bow. And AGF is uh, Antje Graia, who is Vladislav Delay's wife. Uh, so if anyone pays attention to Vladislav Delay's work, that's his wife. Um, it's this, like, voice, fragile voice, cut up and kind of... splintered and sprinkled all over these hums and hisses and like loops of white and brown and pink noise and very dusty and uh that that doesn't feel so far away from these archival recordings of people singing feels very much like a voice noise kind of thing which is really an equation i find satisfying Mm, yeah it's got like sort of a warmth and depth to it so in many ways, I feel that this is full circle for me. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, well, I was wondering if you could share the story of a scenario. Uh, one of the field recordings that you shared with me is uh, Ilkley Moore Bartat by Gareth Coles. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Ilkley Moore Bartat. Well, um, when I 
when I when I got to York, um, I I was mostly like thinking like ballads, and I was pretty uh, brusquely discouraged by a colleague uh, when we met in my garden that I was staying at, and uh, I wasn't staying at a garden. The house had a garden, um, and he was like, you know, you're not really gonna find ballads around here, and I said, well, we'll see. I'm gonna try and. I went several places and collected several things, but anyway, uh, he turned out to mostly be right. But for whatever reason, I just hadn't brushed up on like the 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 Yorkshire repertoire before I went, which was a bit stupid of me. But sometimes I like going places and not knowing anything because then you can ask a more genuine question that way. <clears throat> so I remember my um, host family played me a YouTube video of Ilgli Morbartat, but I didn't. It the the title didn't register with me, or I just forgot. So. I got to this bar, and this Gareth Coles, I think he, people called him Gary, he was a Morris dancer, and so someone introduced me to him, and folklore, Morris dancing, mm -hmm. not a big leap, and we were talking, and, you know, I said, you know, do you sing? And he said, not really, I'm mostly a dancer, and we talked about the Morris dance piece Shirley Collins had put on her last record, and we talked about handkerchiefs and swords, and I said, so you really don't know any songs, like, you know, I was kind of hoping he would sing at least something. And he'd had quite a few beers at that point, and he said, well, there's one song I can sing, uh, but I'm sure you have it already, and and he, it's called Ilke Morbartat, and I said, no, I don't, I don't think I've, well, I haven't really taken too many recordings yet, and, um, and it, I love that recording because um, he stood up in front of the whole bar, and there's this drunk girl kind of egging him on, and... Um, Mm -hmm. But it, but I found out pretty quickly after that that is a really widely sung song in Yorkshire, and and everyone's dad could sing that song, and so I stopped taking it. Uh, it it infuriated some of my informants when I'd ask about, do you know anything other than Ilkley Morbartat, and they'd just be like, oh, I can't stand that song, you know, and it, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty annoying as a tune actually. I'm not and I'm not fond of it, but. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, I when in Rome, I think I needed at least one example of <laughs> of that song, and what a what a stonker of an example. You know, I mean, it's quite a it's quite a dynamic field recording. It's really got a lot going on in it. So, uh, I'm glad I got it, but uh, I I don't need to take it again. My favorite moment of that recording is when the the lady just yells, "Wow, that was!" And then he just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple more. He was verses. like, "There's one more verse, so yeah. I know a few more." Yeah. yeah. Wow, that was. Then we shall all <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he was, it was his moment, and uh, I'm so glad I took it that way rather than just someone's dad singing it or something. Because uh, yeah. it, it turned out everyone knew that song, and uh, uh, so it just didn't seem worth taking again. But I'm glad I got at least one for sure. Have you been approached very often now that you're sort of uh, making a name for yourself in this field? Do people seek you out to share songs with you? Yeah, um, a few times I'll get phone calls. I've put my uh, contacts in the newspapers, similar to what you did with Edna Gibson. Mm. And uh, I had this one man call me from North Carolina, and uh, he's he's blind, but um, he uh, is a descendant of Lulu Bell and Scotty, and so he sang me a couple, like When the Sun Goes Down Again, things like that, that he remembered his mother singing. Um, 
I forget how he was related to Lulu Bell and Scotty. They might have been an aunt or an uncle of his. Um, but I get, I get, um, it, you know, here and there people reach out. Uh, someone has a, a fiddler in, um, I believe, Indiana that they want me to go record. So, yeah, you know, it's starting to kind of reach back out to me, which is what I want, ultimately. Seems most of the work I've heard from you is focusing on unaccompanied singing. That feels that, accurate. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, <clears throat> I'm always interested in, you know, if someone really can play the spoons, I'd like to hear it. You know, I'm, I'm just, because maybe I'm, because I'm the vocalist, I'm always on the hunt for uh, the song. You know, I, I, I've also documented some jack tales which are these long stories told in the mountains, mostly, uh, came over from England. Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack Spratt, you know, Jack being the central hero of the story. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's many more than that, you know. It's um, it's a tradition, and uh, they're satisfying, but I prefer the music, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what draws me to the vocals so much, but, um, you know, if someone wanted to play me hurdy-gurdy solos for an hour, I would absolutely take it, you know. <laughs> it's just... yeah. Uh, I haven't I haven't been in that situation yet. What's the uh, What's the music community like in your area? I know I know in the eighties, Connecticut had like a pretty cool like a hip hop scene going on, and uh, I'm I'm not I'm just not really sure what uh, like say the music heads are agreeing uh, on in this... that realm. Well, I went to high school with that uh, Pear, P-E-A-E-R. He records us. He's put out a couple records. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like an indie musician, and I can remember him playing, you know, old VFW halls or whatever for like an indie night. Um, so there's a pretty vibrant indie scene. Uh, there's also a pretty vibrant noise scene, and uh, they get along fairly well. I think a lot of people, like, have a band, but then on the weekends we'll, you know jump up and down on their guitar or something. <laughs> yeah. Everything turned to 11. Um, so, yeah, especially in New Haven, there's a lot of basement noise shows. It feels like Leeds in a way of, like, noise, crusty. And a lot of people from across the pond know each other. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it rings true what I said earlier, you know, that uh, there was nothing in the Library of Congress file cabinet for location Connecticut, you know, folk songs. It's just not a lot of uh, people... It's a puritanical, waspy thing. People just don't sing here for some reason. You know, Helen Flanders took very, very few recordings in Connecticut, even though she took thousands of recordings from New England. You know, it was very, very few singers from Connecticut, actually. And if there were, they they knew maybe one or two songs, hmm. generally. Um, so, uh, it's curious. I, I, I would love to meet a Connecticut ballad singer, but I haven't yet. Like who? Who's the audience for this in your mind? Everyone. Yeah. I mean, as I've started to do the, you know, well, before I was really actively doing field work, which is sort of where my practice has moved, and I was just sort of talking about these recordings that, you know, Lena in the 1930s singing, you know, Cindy and whatever, Sourwood Mountain, you know, it, it just in passing, you know, everyone loves that kind of music, and everyone was really interested in hearing her do these you know, banjo pieces unaccompanied, and uh, I think it's for everybody. And, you know, I think that she has a certain star power anyway that is um, gravitational. Uh, people really seem to want to uh, use her face and 
uh, platform her voice, and she's graced the cover of a magazine already, and been, you know, on WFMU and NTS, so, you know, it's like, it's not really my story, it's just like, go Lena, you know, I've got my little pennant flag, and I'm running the touchdown or something, I don't know, bad sports analogy, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the cheerleader for her, and, uh, you know, I think more broadly, um, people just don't know where to find this stuff, and um, if I can be the hand pointing to the moon, or whatever the Buddhist saying is, you know, great. And then people can look at the moon. Um, I have a friend who does a back end for WFMU's, um, you know, he's like, you know, he gets the call on his beeper at 3 a.m. if the thing goes down or whatever. And uh, he suggested that I try and pitch a freeform show for WFMU. And so my, you know, ambition was that I would do some crazy three-hour jumble and it would air at four in the morning and two people would hear it. And the director said, I don't want that. I don't want you to do a freeform show for me. And I thought, okay. And he said, um, I want you to do a regular show. I want you to provide documentation of what you're doing. And I want it to go on primetime this summer. So I need you to slow down. I don't want any crossfades between the tracks. And every few songs, I want you to explain where that came from and what that person was doing. Because these recordings are blowing my mind. And I had just been picking things out of, like, the Max Hunter repository or the Wolf Folklore Collection, and these are all available online as MP3s, but I think because people don't know where to look for them, they just have no clue that all this feral vocal folk exists. And so um, I didn't expect to wow him as, as much as I did, so I'm going to do a, a residency for WFMU this summer and oh, explain exciting. a lot of these tracks. But, uh, you know, I do think that the audience is everyone. And I think people are really eager to uh, find this stuff. That makes perfect sense to me that WFMU would pick this up and that you get to, you know, share your insights and just coming from someone who cares so deeply about these recordings and where they come from. Um, are there are there any countries that you'd like to explore that you don't have any background info on or... That, that you're just barely hmm. scratching the surface? I mean, where where would you like to take this work in the <clears> future? Well, for a long time, I really did love Indonesian, Thai, Vietnamese folk music. Mm. Sublime Frequency stuff. Yes, um, yes. Uh, I don't know if I would go there and field record. I feel like that feels a bit tiger skin on the wall. I, I think it's more comfortable for me to work with other white people, for lack of a more delicate way to put that. It just feels less uh, colonialist and invasive. And this work is already, you know, you strive to make the informants into collaborators and, and give them equal footing, but it's still, I can struggle sometimes with how invasive it feels sometimes. Cause... Anyway, um, that being said, uh, the Maritimes are really interesting to me. I'd like to go to, like, Prince Edward Island, for instance, and see if anyone in the, a little shack still remembers these songs little old granny somewhere mm -hmm. you know, making bouillabaisse or whatever um canada is sort of next for me perhaps but i think america is so wide and weird that uh i could spend my whole life and not even scratch the surface of america i mean arkansas oklahoma utah arizona had a couple of amazing the friends of arizona folklore label which was very short-lived put out a couple of amazing records of people doing things like um, 
the kicking mule and red river valley and the little mohi but it's like an arizona version it's really really interesting um i didn't know folk music kind of made it that far and and kind of retained yeah i mean america you just run run yourself into the ground doing and i, I would you know, i'm always interested in those versions of ballads from you know like the only new hampshire version of that ballad you know, and I'm like, why is that? And, you know, where did it come from? So, you know, I, I think I have my hands full already. I don't need to jet set. Yeah, sure. There's there's plenty to dig for just in your own backyard. That's it, on M. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I think I think that, uh, yeah, Canada, I, I have a lot of contacts in Newfoundland that I should go visit, and it would be really nice to do some recording up there. But, you know, I'm I'm... England was interesting because there was sort of not that many complete versions of things, but um, I would go back and do like Scotland and Ireland. I think that'd be interesting. But you know, America, main, mainland America and uh, Canada seems like a worthy place to spend my time. Yeah, absolutely. And there's such a melting pot, just um, especially on the on the east coast of Canada. Um, so many different cultures are um, represented there that I'm, I'm curious to where a lot of the overlap would be. In that well, region. there were a lot of um, there were a lot of Scotch settlers, of course, and English, but uh, you know, also German. So one of my favorite people to read about was a little old man called Nathan Hatt, H A T T. And uh, he couldn't read or write, <clears throat> and had no idea where his family came from. But uh, Helen Crichton, who was a folklorist in Nova Scotia, <clears throat> did some digging on Nathan's behalf and found out that there were either HTT or ATT. There was someone named like At or Hat in uh, in the census, and they seemed to be of German descent. But nonetheless, he knew a lot of Anglo-American ballads like um, Lambkin or Young but Daily Growing or things like that. So um, it, 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 regardless of their origin, I think Canada has um, quite a melting pot, yeah, of uh, it just seems to be people from all sorts of backgrounds kind of learn these songs. And uh, in speaking with um, Anita Best, who's a folk singer uh, from Newfoundland, I found out that uh, it's considered impolite if you're in a social setting like a, you know, like a family gathering or a little house party by the fireplace if you don't bring a song to sing it's considered terribly impolite and you should at least know one or two ballads uh that you can sing um i love that to, to bring to a gathering so in that way they've kind of forced the tradition to stay alive and that's that's a non-singer if i've ever heard one if you have to go over to auntie may's house and you need to know barbara allen well you're gonna learn it whether you want to sing it or not Oh, I send Mary, month of May, when the green buds stay was swollen. Sweet William, all his death lay, for love of Barbie Allen. Do you practice music still? Do you like to learn these songs yourself? I know that you play a number of instruments. Yeah, yeah, I've been a singer since I was little, and uh, I was always singing along to movies and stuff, and um, <clears throat> did a record uh, last year called Making and then Unmaking, and there was one ballad on there that was traditional, and 
Now I've got a new record that's almost done uh, called The Devil Knows How, and it's almost entirely traditional music. Um, the, you know, the old Farmer's Cursed Wife and uh, Hangman, and uh, and then I have two pieces on there that are kind of Avia-esque in that I took recordings of Lena and Lena's daughter, and I set them to music uh, because both ladies recalled vividly that their whole family would sit out at night, you know, by the lamplight or by the fire and sing. Um, they both said very, very similar things in these interviews, so I wanted to kind of mirror that. Uh, but otherwise, it's me singing um, traditional ballads that I've selected. Um, what's your What's your sweet spot with instrument-wise? What do you gravitate toward? Um, I like playing organ a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably my favorite thing. I mean, that's the thing I'm best at is I can play keys pretty well. Um, I can play winds a little bit still, and I used to be able to play strings, but yeah, keys. So I think having access to a pump organ with a lot of stops is like, I could spend all day doing that. It's probably, oh yeah. And it's, it's pretty close to the human voice too. So go figure. Definitely. I used to have a harmonium man and I just was on cloud nine whenever I'd be playing that thing. Yeah. They're excellent. Uh, Harmonica, too, is, you know, I think written off as kind of like a jailhouse sitcom instrument, but it's actually, you know, a pretty incredible thing. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, so that's it's, a bit of an, an, a nuisance to people nearby me, but I do enjoy busting out a harmonica once in a while, too. Similar idea to a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But it's so portable. That's it, yeah, <laughs> which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, plus. Do you mess with uh, with analog recording at all? Do you use tape ever? Um, yeah, I, I'm really mad at myself because I left my batteries in this dictaphone I'd had for 10 years and I came home from England and it was all green goop and it broke. So I'm having a really hard time finding a new one. Um, I've bought two off eBay and they were both completely broken. Uh, worked, quotes, but, you know, what worked meant the light turned on. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so uh, one of the admirers of my work for a long time uh, has been Scott Solter who uh, is a uh, mixer to the gods he's mixed records for um, St. Vincent and the Mountain Goats and Spoon and uh, has somehow got onto my music and we've exchanged emails for years and uh, so I was doing the electronic thing and he'd done some really nice murky remixes for me like seven years ago or whatever. But uh, as I've been kind of leaning into the folk thing, he kind of took a, a, a deeper role and has been helping me produce these records because I think he has a really, really special sense of uh, texture and, and treatment of acoustic instruments. But um, he's he's really, he has a really holistic view of how instruments should sound, I guess. So um, this is a very long answer to your question, but, you know, for The Devil Knows How, this new record, I, I, uh, I was so inspired by... Uh, all these folk collections online of varying fidelity. And I said, without making it an old-timey record, I'd really be interested to play with different fidelity and different tape situations. And uh, he's got at his disposal different tape decks and reel-to-reel -reel machines and wire recorders and mm. all these. And so we've given each track on the record a slightly subtle patina, sometimes not so subtle, um, but I've tried to kind of give it the sense of uh, a collection that evolved over time uh, with, with the advent of different recording uh, instruments. 
Um, you know, so without making it like a, you know, handlebar mustache, fixie bike, Victrola situation, just uh. tried to give it <laughs> some, sort of a dip it slightly in time. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. But, so yeah, I mess with tape is the short answer. <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear some of that Devil Knows How record. I will uh, send you a private link. Uh, by the time this goes out, it may have been released, but um, I'm aiming for the summer, but I'm not sure. Okay. Well, um, can can the listener hear something from that right now? Is there is there a particular yeah, let's track? Put on, uh, we'll put on uh, I'm Going Back to North Carolina. And uh, here it is, folks. plan on touring for this work god i hope so you know it's the pandemic has been severely crippling on that front it's been amazing to get any of the informant work done at all that i've been doing um i i gave a, a library lecture last week that was the kickoff of like a library tour so i'm kind of speaking about this this work and these recordings more to invite people to come forward and share their own stories yeah oh, that's uh, great but as far as performing, uh, I'm 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 gonna be in North Carolina this summer, and I expect to do several shows. So uh, it'll be nice to be back in the saddle, so to speak. And then you've got your uh, on the side when you're traveling, you can continue to do your folklore work. That's that's, that's like a real um, advantage when you can uh, be multitasking right. on the road, like how I did that whole uh, Carter family tribute, which is just amazing. I've sent that to like everyone i sent that to so many friends when you told me about that it was it was mind-blowing yeah it was it was a really cool thing to have um an extracurricular activity that i could be uh just excited to just jump on uh like 
I, I don't want to toot my own horn here too much, but I well, no, I this think... deserves to be you know tooted or touted or whatever you want to call it, because uh, the fact that you found the, uh, the the people performing a Carter family song um, organically and went up to them, you know, it's just it's just, just an incredible. Yeah, this is this is a guy named Brian Hayes. Uh, when we were in Kentucky uh, getting an oil change, uh, I was collecting Carter family songs uh, by mostly by bands and artists that we had some kind of connection to. Uh, but this was just I was wandering around the parking lot and he was playing in front of a department store and he happened to be playing uh, the Wildwood Flower. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he, he gave me his email address, but I must've heard it wrong or he must've said it wrong because it, it just came right back to me. So I, I was never able to share the recording with him, but it happened and it, it was uh, just such a joy to like... such a celestial like tunnel you know and that's how these things happen sometimes it's just you you put that intention out and then the world kind of cooperates you know I, I i won't bore you but i have so many little tiny stories like that surrounding like lena and her family where things have just come together and and it's it's perfect it's this like celestial reach uh well i don't think you're gonna bore me if you want to if you want to give me a a story of a serendipitous moment <laughs> The nicest one I think of is um, Lena had uh, been featured on these compilations put out by the Library of Congress, but they also, for some reason, put out these 78 singles. Uh, and so she was the A-side, and then a version of The Three Babes uh, was the B-side, and it was like this weird 78 single that existed for some reason. And before I'd gotten the other recordings of her, that was like... I wanted to bring this to her daughter as like a gift, but it was like a really rare 78, you know, only two people on Discogs said they had it and, you know, like a million people said they wanted it or whatever. Yeah. And so I messaged both of the accounts, you know, it was not for sale. I should say that it was not offered for sale. It's just two people had it in their collection and one person did not reply. Uh, so the other person, you know, out of two, uh, his first question to me was, well, what are the other ones in the series that you have? he was kind of looking at it from like a collector's bent and fair enough. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't have any of the other 78s in this library of Congress singles series. I would like to give this to Lena's daughter. Oh, well that changes everything. And so he sent it for free by post. And when I got the package, it learned, turned out he was only in New Jersey. So not very far away from me. Oh, wow. Um, 
So it's still a, we both need to really get our schedules together, but I've, I've become friends with him and, uh, we should have lunch someday, but, um, 78s are often je jealously guarded by people. And there's a book on this called do not sell at any price, uh, says it all in the title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so go. it was a, kind of a, it was a, nothing short of a miracle that this person was fairly local and was willing to part with this record for nothing, you know? So, uh, so that's one, you know, just that comes to mind of the universe just kind of cooperating around these, uh, these singers in their lives. Killer. Okay. Well, man, I, I kind of feel like we, we did it. How do you feel? Do you, do you have any more, uh, anything else you want to get into? That was a nice note to end on, I think. But, uh, you know. If anyone out there is listening and they're like, oh yeah, my grandma used to sing this one song, even if it's just a bit of one song or your aunt, you know, please write either Markley or, or myself, uh, d at d-e-r-e-k-p-i-o-t-r dot com. Uh, it would be wonderful to, you know, the, the thing that keeps me going on this work is the stories that I get back. So if anyone wants to be in touch, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that people out there have something that falls in line with this even if uh it's remembering a lullaby and they're not sure where it came from it's, uh, yeah no song too big or small please please write in to either markley or myself because uh even if it was just a piece of barbara allen uh i'd be curious what your way of barbara allen was you know it, that's a song that's been sung to death but maybe it's a melody i've never heard before you just don't know i'd love to hear it well, Derek, thank you so much for your time and for the hard work you're doing, the good work. This is really important, uh, really important stuff. I'm so glad we connected because uh, very, very kindred, which is uncommon, I think, to be so into this shuttered away singer kind of bent. It's really a, it's really a treat to be able to talk about this stuff with you. Absolutely. I hope to catch you for lunch sometime. Oh, it'll happen. Yeah. I have faith. All right. Well, lots of love. And um, where can the listener find more about your work? Um, so the D at D-E-R-E-K-P-I-O-T-R dot -E -E com. If you take the D at away, that's my website as well, DerekPeter dot com. That's D-E-R-E-K-P-I-O-T-R dot com on the World Wide Web. This has been the 65th episode of Low Profile with Markley Morrison. Thanks again to Derek Peter for joining me on today's show. And if you'd like to explore his work, you can find links to it on this episode's webpage at lowprofilepodcast.com. The illustrations for each episode on this season of Low Profile are by Lonnie Morrison. Thanks a lot for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, it never hurts to tell a friend or share this program with others online. Jack Habiger's Celebrity Telethon is up next here on KAOS 89.3 Olympia Community Powered Radio.